Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. So as you know, this season is about following me as I put my book Impact Culture into practice. And so it's probably not a surprise if you've read the book that there should be a bit of a theme developing on mental health given that there's this inside-out, bottom-up framework that I work with in the book. And so uh, I'm going to build on last week's uh, episode, um, uh, where I talked about a difficult line manager of my own, uh, to talk more generally about challenging line managers and how we might be able to work more effectively. Uh, the, the reason for this is that this is a, a fairly common question that I, I get in some of my trainings, um, especially when I'm doing uh, work around the productive uh, researcher. Um, uh, and so uh, I hope that in today's episode, I'm going to be able to give you some help that will enable you to uh, ideally uh, thrive, not just survive a toxic line manager relationship. Uh, but of course, we'll also think about um, the uh, circumstances in which the criteria by which you might decide, actually, I need to get out of this relationship um, and to think about that process as well. Um, now, I think if we're talking about line managers, I, I should probably preface this by uh, explaining how grateful I am for my current line managers at uh, Scotland's Rural College. I say plural because um, although my head of school is officially my line manager, um, my dean of faculty also takes a, a keen interest in the process um, and tends to join these kinds of meetings because I'm co-leading a centre. Um, uh, now, uh, as I mentioned two or three weeks ago now, I've been struggling to go back to face-to-face -face meetings. And that is now beginning to create problems for me. <laughs> so uh, just last week, I had to have a difficult conversation with the Scottish government uh, who employ me on their Just Transition Commission. Uh, it's a climate change related role. And uh, I'm going to be talking to their chair this week because uh, commissioners uh, like me are expected to tour Scotland, uh, visiting local communities. And I have now run out of excuses. <laughs> so uh, I figure, you know what? Um, uh, the time has come to start uh, fessing up, talking about this openly, um, and where relevant, uh, explaining to people what's going on and why this is not going to happen, at least not in the near future. And so my annual review was coming up anyway, and I figured that this was probably a good time to explain what was going on to my line manager. Now, I will confess to being frankly terrified by the prospect, <laughs> uh, and this isn't just a, a normal line manager uh, situation, this is uh, my head of school and my dean of faculty. Not that they are intimidating people, um, but uh, given how my weaknesses have been exploited by people with power over me in the past, uh, not just um, the, uh, the line manager I, I spoke about last week, but all the way back to childhood, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's some fear here. But 
uh, I did some work with my coach and counsellor, Dave, um, and uh, he helped me to work out what proportion of my fear was actually based on uh, a, a rational fear, uh, based on the evidence of how my line managers might in fact uh, react to this news, versus um, just, yeah, the fear of what has happened in the past, um, just rearing its ugly head. And the eventual conclusion was uh, about 100% of this is just fear coming up from the past. There's no evidence that, uh, that these two individuals are going to exploit this disclosure. But ultimately, uh, given the centrality of authenticity to my approach uh, to both impact culture and life, I knew that uh, yeah, whatever the risk might be, no matter how much I might still fee feel afraid, <laughs> despite knowing that it's not rational, I need to go and do this. Um, and um, it, it's, it paid off. Um, they were incredibly supportive, um, including of my decision to talk publicly about this as well. But this, of course, doesn't mean that we should all disclose our mental health issues to our line managers or supervisors. It was right for me, but it might not be right for you. You may have evidence that this could make things worse for you, or you might be worried about how this might change your relationship with these very important people in your career. And, of course, you have to do what's right for you. Uh, now, I think I've, I've mentioned um, uh, Zoe Ayer's influence on me. I've been reading her new book on managing your mental health and your PhD, uh, and I can recommend it to you whether or not you're taking a PhD. Uh, I've been finding it really helpful. And she is particularly balanced, I think, on this question, on whether or not to disclose what you're going through. Uh, and it's clear that not everyone has as supportive line managers as I very fortunately do. And in fact, as I said at the beginning, I do regularly meet people in trainings who tell me about the incredibly toxic relationships that they have with their line managers. And they often ask me for advice. And so I do my best to try and help them. Uh, and I'm going to share some of the things that uh, that I say um, and discuss with people, uh, but uh, I, I'm learning as much from the people that I've spoken to, from their feedback, from the approaches that they take, as I am from my own experience, uh, bitter as uh, that clearly has been. Uh, and uh, the idea uh, behind this is uh, that by the end of today's episode, uh, you should have three approaches that you can choose between for dealing with a difficult line manager. And uh, with uh, some luck, that will empower you to have conversations with your boss, uh, with yourself as well. Uh, and that as a result of those conversations, you will be able to both uh, survive and ideally thrive in these relationships. Now, I mentioned last week in the context of workplace bullying that, uh, but it is, I think, self-evident that we all have different levels of sensitivity to certain types of people and behaviours, depending on our own previous experiences um, and a whole load of other factors that are unique to us. And I think this is something that is not only person-specific, it's something that can change over time, uh, depending on your emotional state. So uh, if you're trying to deal with some difficult news, uh, then you're more likely to take a bit of banter the wrong way, uh, or get kind of scared or upset by a situation that you might otherwise have brushed off. But with a line manager, I think this can be really amplified because they actually have power over you. 
ultimately, if something goes wrong, uh, they will be responsible for bringing you back into line, for giving you that negative feedback. And ultimately, they're the people that judge your performance, whether you are matching up to your objectives, to expectations, whether you're doing your job right. Um, uh, and if everything is going to go very pear-shaped, uh, it's going to be them that, uh, that will be leading the process of uh, you moving on. Uh, and um, and so yeah, this this is power, um, and uh, and I think therefore in a relationship with someone like this, uh, even quite uh, small little hints and little bits of feedback um, that, uh, that that you might uh, take um, uh, innocuously from someone else uh, can be interpreted differently and can be amplified um, in this particular relationship. Um, I think there's something evolutionary about this. Um, so let me explain. So there is this knowledge in the back of our mind that here's a person who has the power to keep us in our job or pull the rug out from our livelihood. And if we really call that to consciousness, um, which I don't recommend, <laughs> it can feel like an, uh, an existential threat, uh, given the repercussions we know that would happen uh, from losing our job. And uh, as animals, like all animals, we have been programmed by evolution to pay attention to these sorts of threats, very specifically to existential threats, threats to our livelihood, hence to our life. So if a snake or spider could kill you, then evolution has programmed us to amplify our fear response to stay well away from snakes or spiders. And if you do that, you might just survive. Uh, and we know rationally that the spiders in our houses in countries like the UK are not going to hurt us. But... Yeah, the fear is, is irrational, and I'm going to argue is evolutionary. And this is why when we get mixed feedback from someone like a line manager, we tend to end up focusing on the, the negative aspects. Uh, ruminating over them, wondering what we could have done differently. Um, and, and even if the majority of the feedback was actually positive, that little bit of negative feedback is the thing that stands out. And it's not just because I'm a negative person or something like that. It's actually something that's programmed into us. We're programmed to focus on negatives because this actually helped us to survive in evolutionary time. But of course, in the modern age, this becomes maladaptive. Uh, maladaptive. It drives anxiety, and we end up focusing on the negatives and filtering out the positives, which, of course, isn't good for us. So let's call this to consciousness and realise what's going on and uh, give ourselves a bit of self-compassion here. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm struggling with my line manager. It feels like I'm constantly being criticised, uh, always on the back foot. Um, I ruminate, worry over uh, even just the tone of voice that, uh, that they may have spoken to me in, um, and, and such like. But yeah, to be honest, this is normal. Most of us uh, will, will go through these kinds of ruminations from time to time. So the result then is that uh, you might have a line manager who is in fact really happy with your performance, but because they've made some minor constructive feedback, you end up going into a tailspin. You think that they don't appreciate you. 
Uh, and of course, uh, as an aside, uh, we've uh, all probably heard the idea that you have to balance any negative feedback you give to a child with at least three times the amount of positive feedback if they're going to perceive that you've got a balanced view of them. The same applies to line managers. If you are listening to this as a line manager, you really need to think about how you frame your negative constructive feedback uh, and go out of the way. Even though this might feel a bit embarrassing, uh, a bit well unnecessary, it's just obvious, isn't it? You you have to go out of the way to also really emphasize the positives to make sure that you are balancing any negative feedback and to ensure that your colleagues remain motivated so that they can then tackle that constructive negative feedback. One person I trained, though, uh, had a, a real challenge, um, and this is quite a common challenge. Um, this is not just uh, people I've trained, people uh, in my networks. Uh, you've probably had people like this in your life um, uh, as well. Um, uh, yeah, a line manager who blows hot and cold. You never quite know who you're going to get. Uh, so one day they're really positive, upbeat, uh, love everything that you do, uh, will brush aside any anything that you've uh, maybe not quite managed to do because, yeah, you're brilliant, Mark, and uh, whatever it might be. Um, and yet, on other days, they're brusque, they're dismissive, maybe even angry. And you don't know, am I going to get uh, angry line manager? Uh, am I going to get supportive and friendly line manager? No idea. Uh, and so this particular colleague who was uh, talking to me in this training was uh, telling me how much she was dreading her line manager meetings. Um, and she was working in a lab. This was someone that she saw on a regular basis. Uh, because she just never knew which version of him she would get. Uh, no, it was a her. Uh, which version of her she would get. Uh, and the, the challenge of this is that uh, you can't help uh, but thinking about this in relation to yourself. So you're asking yourself, what have I done wrong? Uh, it must be me. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, and I'm constantly, I'm, I'm analysing myself. Yeah, uh, am I wearing something that's inappropriate? I mean, I haven't even opened my mouth yet. Uh, no, it must have been our last meeting. Or uh, has she read um, uh, the, the, that new draft of, of our paper that, that I sent to her? Oh, she must really hate it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Um, uh, and uh, and so this uh, yeah this is a this is a real challenge. Um, uh, we're, we're trying to work out what's uh, wrong with uh, with us uh, and how we can then try and keep this person happy, rather than seeing as is the reality that this is probably the line manager's issue. They're having a hard day. Um, something else is happening which is making them grumpy, and they are then not hiding that, and it's coming out, and you're interpreting it. And it could be as simple as that. They're not even directing anything to you, but you're picking up on this negativity and assuming this must be you. Or maybe they are actually taking it out on you in some shape or form. Um, and if that is the case, uh, I would uh, suggest that uh, these are people who probably should not be line managers um, uh, if they are that emotionally labile and are unable to regulate their emotions enough uh, to not just take this out on everyone around them. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not good, uh, but uh, it is uh, sadly something that um, is, uh, is fairly common. Uh, and it's one thing to express, I think, your your, uh, your negative emotions around a friend or a partner who knows and trusts you, but it's quite a different thing to do this in a relationship at work, especially if there is a relationship in which there is a strong power dynamic built in. 
So uh, the first point that I want to, to make, and I'll come on to my three points um, framework, but this kind of feeds into this very explicitly. But the first point is that despite the fact that they might be taking this out on you, even blaming you for things that you haven't done, expressing disappointment, frustration, picking apart your work, all of this stuff, it may in reality have nothing to do with you. And if this is the case, then the evidence will be all around you. So, for example, yeah, I've done this before. And uh, in fact, I did this last week and they didn't say a word. Why are they picking up on this now? Because I do this all the time. Um, and, uh, and actually, I talk to others and they have the same experience. Um, uh, yeah, uh, everything I do is wrong today, this week, um, but it was completely different last week. Okay, there's a pattern going on here, um, and this is not necessarily all about me. And actually, by talking to each other, we can all begin to realise, oh, yeah, so this isn't personal then. Huh. But should you therefore take responsibility for dealing with this yourself? Because that's the implication I'm making here. Um, uh, the idea that is that, that, well, yeah, if I can talk to others, I can be thick-skinned enough, then, of course, the comments will just bounce off me, I won't get affected. Uh, it will all be good. Or should I actually take this up with my line manager? Or should I take it up with someone else in the organisation for that matter? Uh, also, seemingly valid response. Uh, or maybe there's a middle way where we need to do a bit of both. And this is where I want to go with this episode, um, uh, uh, to get a, a sense of what is the balance, what should be the balance between the extent that you do the inner work and deal with this yourself so that you can go back into that relationship uh, and it doesn't affect you. You can be robust uh, in that relationship. Um, to what extent, actually, uh, is this just not acceptable? And no, this uh, is something that you need to give your line manager feedback about. Or potentially you need to get a new line manager. Uh, or actually, is there some balance of the two? So let's, let's look at all three of these options. Uh, tackling them, tackling yourself, or this combined approach. So tackling them to start with, uh, I think this isn't as much of a binary thing as you might think. Um, uh, so I, I think there are shades of grey in all three of these options. And uh, certainly before making a complaint about something, someone, I think that there are a number of other softer ways that you might be able to tackle the problem from the perspective of tackling them and stopping their negative behaviour towards you. So we're not going to go all guns blazing straight to their line manager and making a, a complaint, although I'm going to reserve this one uh, because we may end up getting there. Let's try something uh, softer uh, to, to start with. Um, so um, uh, let me think, um, uh, I guess the first thing that we might do is to effectively sideline this person and find someone else in the organisation or team who can help you. So officially, yeah, you're my line manager. Yeah, we have to meet once a year to fill in some paperwork. But in terms of all the other stuff I would hope to get from a line manager, uh, I'm going to get that from someone else. Um, uh, 
So it could be that uh, I'm a PhD student and I've got two or three supervisors. One of them is really problematic. Uh, yes, every now and then I have to meet all of them together, uh, but actually in between times um, and uh, whenever, whenever I can, I focus on meeting with uh, the one or two who are not so problematic. Perhaps uh, all of my supervisors or my, 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 my sole line manager is really problematic, uh, but I need mentoring, I need support, I need, I need guidance. Uh, but maybe there are other people who, in the organisation who can do this uh, for us. So uh, during my own PhD, uh, I, I had, um, oh, in fact, two issues. I had an issue with one of my supervisors and I had an issue with um, the expertise that, that I needed. I wanted mentoring uh, in terms of ecology uh, and uh, my supervisor couldn't do that. And so I found someone else in the organisation who could do that mentoring for me. So great. Uh, I need some help. Uh, here's someone uh, and it was... Uh, 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 Tim Baker, uh, he then co-authored a paper with me uh, back in 2008 uh, to help me to, uh, to, to to get this stuff right. And it's surprising who you might be able to find. Uh, I often find people who uh, are about to retire often want to give something back and uh, people who you would not expect to say yes will often say yes when you ask them to uh, to mentor you. Uh, of course, you might go for a coach instead, uh, and I pay a coach um, every other week uh, who is a coach and a counsellor uh, to help me to just get, have that space in which to think about the issues that come up for me uh, as a leader. Uh, and that's not to say that my line manager couldn't do that for me, but he's a busy man as well as a, as a head of school. Um, uh, and so, and so uh, for, for the amount of input I want in terms of uh, my own leadership skills, uh, I've employed a coach to do that for me. Uh, there is, of course, uh, the option of, uh, of changing your supervisor or line manager. And uh, I actually did this myself in my PhD. I had two supervisors, uh, one of whom said that to do a PhD um, on the topic I was doing in Botswana, I needed to spend at minimum 50% of my time uh, in the Kalahari uh, living with communities. He was an anthropologist, um, hence his view on this. Uh, I looked at my research plan and I was like, uh, in what world is this going to take me two whole years of my life? Um, I was doing it part time over four years. Um, uh, this is how much time I need. Why would I spend time out there when I've got a wife at home? I want to have kids. Uh, and actually, if you are stipulating that this is uh, a non-negotiable, as he was, then you can have your PhD because my family is more important. And he went ballistic. He swore blind. Um, I mean, I was just like, whoa, where did that reaction come from? Um, and while he was in the middle of his tirade, I got up and left the room, never to see him again. Uh, I said to my other supervisor, I'll work with you, thanks. Um, uh, and that was in the time when you uh, only had to have one supervisor. Uh, so great, uh, job done. It turns out that um, he was going through a messy divorce and uh, all three of his children no longer spoke to him because he had taken this approach to his work and he'd spent his entire life uh, living with communities abroad and not investing in his family. And I'd kind of hit a bit of a raw nerve. Uh, but over the last three years, I've now had the chance to give back um, by taking over as a line manager or as a supervisor for uh, three colleagues now who have experienced challenges. And so I tell you these stories to empower you to just realise this happens on a regular basis. Uh, and there may well be people like me who are like, yeah, I'll help you, of course. Uh, and there's a very often uh, a lot in this for, for me as well. 
Um, so uh, there was uh, one PhD student um, who uh, who was just completely browbeaten, and um, as is quite common, sadly, she had a uh, supervisor who basically saw her as uh, a cheap pair of hands to do his research. Um, and instead of uh, hiring postdocs because he hadn't got any funding, he had gotten funding for a PhD student, but expected her to work as a postdoc. Uh, and so uh, he judged all her outputs uh, on the basis of, is this going to get us a co-authored paper in a top journal that is going to be three or four star in ref? Uh, and the answer is no, it's not good enough. Um, in fact, none of this is good enough. Um, uh, and just constant negative feedback when, yeah, it's a one or two star paper that is perfectly robust. And in fact, yeah, a PhD is meant to be a training. <laughs> You're not there to to write papers to that caliber for your supervisor. Um, yeah, yeah, and with no support, it's just not going to happen. You're being trained. Um, and so I, I took over, um, and um, it just so happened that uh, it was an area that was linked to um, some of the, the work that I'm doing for the charity that I work with. And I was like, yeah, maybe there's some impact from this. So I'd be interested to learn from this PhD and see how we might be able to apply this in our charity. Um, and yeah, I've got enough expertise to, uh, to, to supervise this to completion. Um, Partly in thanks to Tim, it was an ecology PhD. <laughs> I'm not an ecologist, but it was good enough. There was another another supervisor on board who could uh, could sort that stuff out, uh, and great. Uh, so uh, that really worked. Uh, another uh, uh, colleague um, also. Um, uh, a PhD student with a supervisor, um, it was me and another co-supervisor. I got on fine with that other supervisor, but uh, whether it was a personality clash uh, or whether it was um, uh, just, yeah, uh, I think there was more than this, more than a personality clash. Uh, this student was just getting crushed. Her confidence was just going through the floor every time uh, that uh, that they met up with this particular supervisor. Um, yeah, they they were in pieces, um, and so ultimately, uh, yeah, she she took the the decision to try and get a change of supervisor, and uh, and it worked out really well. I had another one, a uh, third and final one. He was, uh, it was a line management issue and she was being bullied by her line manager. Uh, she wasn't uh, willing to uh, to do anything about this because she was terrified of the consequences. Um, uh, and uh, and she reached out to, to me. Well, in fact, I was the PI on the project. She was just being line managed by someone else because she was working across multiple projects. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I took over the line management and that ended up being um, as much as uh, about picking up the pieces and, and building her confidence back up as it was about doing any of the technical stuff of being a line manager. Um, and sad though that was, what a privilege to be able to, to give back to, to someone who had had such a toxic experience. Uh, and I think that um, to, to encourage you further, if it comes to this, uh, asking for a change of supervisor or a change of line manager actually sends an important message back to senior managers. Because if this keeps happening, the same individual keeps getting people asking to change uh, away from them as a line manager or supervisor. That then might just trigger someone to put two and two together and realize, hmm, maybe there's a problem with this person and maybe I need to go and talk to them. 
ultimately, though, uh, your final option um, uh, after you've kind of taken these kind of uh, softer approaches of kind of sidelining them, uh, finding someone else who can actually do the job whilst kind of leaving them to tick boxes uh, or ultimately uh, changing uh, your supervisor or line manager, you can, of course, then make a complaint. Um, the process uh, will yeah it will be laid out. You can find out how to do this in your own organisation. Uh, they're typically quite similar processes, um, uh, but uh, they take a long time, um, and they don't necessarily go how you would expect them to to go. Um, I spoke to um, one of my cousins who works in HR, and um, and she told me in her view, and this is a controversial view, uh, so uh, I'll just put this out there as a view. In her view, complaints procedures uh, ultimately are there to protect the reputation of the institution, not to um, uh, to to protect the interests of uh, the the complainant. Um, and, uh, and her advice was to uh, to be sure that you have a watertight case with concrete evidence uh, because ultimately um, uh, naming and shaming having to fire discipline um, a senior member of staff uh, that getting out um, that's not something that your average institution is uh, is keen on seeing happen uh, now that's a, a controversial view and I know a number of people who have had very positive experiences um, uh, of this um, uh, and um, uh, and yeah, beware! It might not go how you plan. This is not a panacea, and uh, and uh, one of the many reasons why this should never be your first default um, default option. Um, uh, but uh, but ultimately, uh, if you've got someone who is particularly toxic, um, uh, especially someone who is is bullying you. Um, then, uh, then, then actually doing something about this formally uh, is is probably a responsibility not just uh, for yourself but for everyone else who comes after you to make sure that something is done about someone like this. Um, so you need to have this uh, in the background. So uh, number one, uh, I tackled this person. Um, uh, some softer approaches, some harder approaches. Um, but is that the right way to go? Well, maybe. But before you make your mind up, I wonder to what extent we might want to go with the second option, which is fundamentally about tackling you rather than them. Now, uh, this is not about uh, just putting up with horrendous behaviour, letting people walk all over you clearly, and that's why I've ordered this in the way that uh, that I have. Um, but I think that there are a number of approaches that you can take to tackling an issue with a line manager like this internally, from your own perspective, to see if you can become more resilient in this toxic environment that you have just found yourself in. Uh, so, uh, first of all, before I go too much further, I think it's worth doing a bit of a reality check. Um, uh, so, uh, ask yourself: Is everyone who works with this is everyone who works with this person having the same experience as you? I think it's useful to do this uh, this fact finding mission and uh, talk to these people, uh, other people who are being line managed, uh, supervised by this person. Uh, how do they see this person's behaviour? And uh, if everyone else sees this person as actually fundamentally friendly, supportive, yeah, they have a bit of banter every now, every now and then, and you say see this very differently, uh, then 
that might be evidence uh, that uh, their so-called banter is in fact triggering something deeper in you that you need to deal with. And by dealing with this, uh, that you, uh, you too, like your colleagues, might just be able to, uh, to take them at face value. Of course, if everyone's like, yeah, they're a nightmare, maybe this is now pushing you back to option one. I probably do need to talk uh, to, to, to them about this. Uh, I need to do something about this um, and tackle them. Uh, I think um, in this uh, in this situation, um, uh, yeah, this is someone who I find difficult. Nobody else does. Uh, that's not about beating myself up and saying I need to grow a thicker skin. It's about saying, yeah, we're all different. Uh, I've clearly got a thinner skin to people like this. Uh, I'm probably never going to enjoy working with this person. Um, but uh, I might now realise, yeah, it's maybe not intended the way that I'm taking it. It's maybe not as personal as I thought it was, and it might just take uh, some of the sting out of, uh, of, of our interactions with this person. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, if you've done this analysis, you've concluded you're taking things harder than other people, uh, let's see what we can do ourselves before taking any serious action against the person themselves, because I just might be able to work out how I can um, uh, survive in this uh, in this relationship, even if it seems a remote possibility that I might actually thrive in it. And so there's a few things that, uh, that you can do here. Uh, so if the first technique that I would use would be uh, all about trying to reframe these negative interactions or attacks uh, or however I might perceive them using something like cognitive behavioural therapy. So what I'm doing in this case is I'm taking this and yeah, that's how it landed. That's uh, how it feels. That's how I've interpreted it. Uh, that's pretty evil. That's, yeah, can you believe they said that? In fact, I'm not just hurt, I'm angry. And yeah, uh, and, uh, and I'm allowing uh, uh, this to grow arms and legs and I'm, I'm seeing what the arms and legs are. Great, I'm writing this down. And now, standing back from it and looking for the cognitive distortions. Well, yeah, I could interpret that in a couple of different ways. And here's how my friend interprets this when, the, then this, when they do this to, to, to my friend. And um, yeah, is it really that bad? Um, uh, what are the consequences actually gonna be? Am I catastrophizing? Um, yeah, what, what's going on here? Uh, and now, having stood back and identified those cognitive distortions, looked in a more evidence-based way at this interaction, perhaps I can say, yeah, it was unpleasant, uh, but actually uh, a large part of my reaction to them was uh, simply that, yeah, I've got problems with authority figures uh, because of my relationship with my dad or my mum or whatever it might be. And, uh, and yeah, maybe I can uh, calm myself down and go back into my next interaction, uh, more able to see that dynamic uh, and, and deal with it as it comes. Uh, I've talked in the Productive Researcher about a technique called uh, the many-story approach. Um, uh, and um, this is uh, Andrew Scott who came up with this. And uh, it's a, a kind of cognitive behavioural therapy, but it's a, a kind of a longer-term process of trying to change your narrative. And so uh, you, what you do is you try to spot these negative narratives. Um, I'm never good enough. Um, uh, I'm uh, constantly having to, to watch my back. Uh, I'm under attack. Uh, the world is a scary place, um, um, whatever it might be. 
and uh, and start to look for uh, opposing uh, evidence that, that says that actually no, the world isn't quite as scary a place as I thought. No, I do make mistakes, but actually, yeah, there are lots of things I'm doing well, and uh, I got some negative feedback, but I also got lots of positive feedback. And in fact, I got more positive feedback. And now what I'm doing is I'm trying to overcome that evolutionary mechanism, uh, that mechanism that instinctively makes me look on and hyper-focus on the negative. Uh, I say, yeah, that's there. Uh, but now on purpose, I am going to look for and hyper-focus on the positives as well. And it's not to deny the negatives. Uh, I'm not being unrealistic here. Yeah, I make mistakes. And yeah, uh, scary things do happen. Uh, yeah, sometimes uh, people do try to get me. Uh, but uh, but actually, the majority of people are for me. In fact, the majority of people don't even care. They're just all wrapped up in their own story. <laughs> ah, and yeah, uh, gradually, over time I begin to create new narratives and I've mentioned this before I'm going doing something uh, called neurocycling um, it's uh, developed by Dr Caroline Caroline Leaf uh, and uh, and this is about trying to yeah catch those narratives but understand the the, the root causes of those narratives uh, and then create new narratives uh, that have equally deep roots uh, and uh, as part of that process, I've found um, visualizations useful. And so one of the things that, uh, that I find useful is uh, to visualize two trees. Uh, so uh, I see myself as one tree and, uh, and I recognize that, uh, that I was wounded. Um, uh, someone um, uh, took an ax to, uh, to my tree when I was trying to grow up and, uh, and kept felling it. Every time I regrow it, they kept felling it. This uh, fundal, fundamental root to who I was and to my values, um, to a sense of, uh, of love and security, uh, was, was being injured on a regular basis. And uh, I have now grown an adult tree, but there are these fractures uh, running through the trunk. Uh, these uh, these weaknesses, um, these memories, and every now and then I will uh, meet someone who reminds me on uh, the person who wielded that axe, and I jump to the conclusion, uh-oh, here's an axe man, <laughs> uh, run away, fast, uh, and I react. Uh, and the reality is uh, that there are very few people uh, who wish to wield an axe to me into my life or my career or my family or anything else. Instead, there are just people who remind me of that uh, original person who wielded the axe. And they're just another tree. And uh, trees create weather systems. Uh, and that tree next to me is, uh, is in a bit of a storm. And uh, it's blowing wind towards me. And I can see their canopy and it's raging in the storm. Uh, they're confused, they're upset, they're angry, whatever it might be. And I'm getting buffeted by that storm. Uh, and the result is that my stem is flexing and I'm feeling those fractures. Uh, but the reality is uh, the stem is there. It stands. I'm okay. Uh, it's just that uh, you can't help but get affected by someone else's weather system when they're standing right next to you and blasting at you. But it's no more than that. Uh, it's what's going on in their uh, system uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I can pray for them. I can help for them. I can help them if I, if I want to, uh, or I can just leave them to it. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, this, this doesn't have to affect me, not in that fundamental way. I'm not going to put any obligations on you because you have to be able to cope with this. Uh, and that was in part my cousin's advice to me. That, Look, Mark, you say you're thinking about making a complaint. Uh, what if this doesn't go your way? Uh, I've seen these go badly for people on a regular basis. Do you think you are robust enough emotionally to be able to cope with this if it doesn't go your way uh, and the conclusion for me was hmm I'm not sure <laughs> but actually not doing something about this and allowing this person to continue walking all over me is actually having a more negative impact on my mental health than whatever might happen if I go down this uh, this 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 route um, and in the end, I survived it psychologically, although, of course, uh, when it didn't go my way, it did have a negative impact on me. So, yeah, you've got someone really extreme in your face. Uh, do you need to do something about this? Uh, do you feel that sense of obligation? And even if you do, maybe not yet. Maybe now is not the time. Maybe, in fact, this could end up having an even more negative impact on you than doing nothing in terms of a complaint. Uh, and so this combined approach is about taking those softer steps that I mentioned at the beginning to tackling that person at the same time as doing the deeper inner work. So what I'm trying to do is to sideline this person enough that I don't have to meet them any more than once a year or once a quarter. Uh, when I do meet them, I'm going to be meeting them maybe in a group setting with other more supportive people who can balance them out, for example. Uh, I, I'm trying to find other people who can fill uh, their role for me. Uh, maybe trying to get a change of line manager or supervisor rather than um, having to, uh, to actually make a complaint. And the whole time I'm doing this, uh, I'm getting curious about why it is that this is provoking the reactions it is provoking in me. Uh, uh, is this a normal reaction? Maybe it is. Uh, but maybe not everyone is having the same reaction. What does that say about my unique context? And this doesn't say uh, I am less robust, uh, that uh, I am somehow lesser, that these other people, um, uh, yeah, I should just grow a thicker skin and be like them. This says there's something about my experience that makes this harder for me than it is for other people. And perhaps there's some deeper inner work I need to do to try and heal uh, those uh, roots of uh, these emotional reactions. Um, and of course, that can be a work of weeks, months, years, a lifetime. <laughs> Certainly feels like a lifetime to me so far. Um, but still, just being on that journey, uh, whether or not I end up uh, going from the softer options all the way to eventually, yeah, I'm changing line manager and making a complaint about this. Uh, I, I don't lose out because uh, at a, as a result, at the end of this, I've learned something. Uh, I've become someone different who, if nothing else, understands who I am and why I act the way that I do, uh, why I respond the way that I do. Uh, I perhaps know my limitations better uh, for now, at this point in my life, uh, at this level of emotional development or healing. Yeah, these are the kinds of people that I can be in relationship and I can't be in relationship with people like that. And that's okay. Uh, let's just be honest and open about that and, uh, and protect myself. 
in conclusion, I really hope that uh, that you haven't had uh, as toxic an experience uh, with your line manager as uh, I have with the one that I talked about um, uh, last week, uh, or the person I was talking about that I was training, uh, and many of the people that I've worked with have had. Uh, sadly, uh, there are many uh, relationships uh, in academia uh, with people in power over us that drain us, uh, that sap our energy, that sap our motivation, that sap our will to live sometimes. And my hope is that uh, I'm giving you some hope today. Uh, there are options. Uh, I don't have to go straight to the uh, the nuclear button. I don't have to. Um, you know, there are things I can do before I get to the point of actually making a formal complaint. And perhaps some of these, now I think about them, are pretty palatable. I could do that. Uh, this could make things survivable. And in fact, now, if I can do that inner work, you know what? With those things that I've put in place to survive someone like this and that emotional work that I'm doing, you know what? Maybe, in fact, I end up getting into a situation where I can stomach this person perfectly well. And in fact, this is now a relationship in which I can thrive. And of course, that is my hope for you. So enjoy uh, whatever comes next. Uh, I hope you've got some, uh, some useful actions uh, that you are thinking about. Uh, maybe this is something to mull over, talk to a friend, talk to a colleague about. This is certainly not something to rush into. But uh, there are options <laughs> and there is always hope.